other than his wife. Completely threw away all the hard work of the good grassroots people. And that's so typical of the Democratic Party uh, that we really have to. That, that, that's one of the major things we have to do, Dennis, in the near term is take over the Democratic Party. And right now it's a gerontocracy. I mean, you've got Pelosi, who's 80. Uh, uh, Diane Feinstein, who God knows how old, um, uh, Schumer is 70, um, uh, you know, Biden is 77. Of course, Bernie is no spring chicken either, but the reality is that there has to be a generational shift, and I'm very impressed with the capabilities of, of Jayapal and the other AOC. And they, they seem to really know what they're doing, and they're dedicated. Right. We, we don't know how it's going to shake out, Dennis, but hopefully we will prevail. Well, oh, hope retrieves this all. How do uh, people be a part if they'd like to be a part of your Monday meetings? How do they do that? Uh, email me directly, solartopia at gmail.com, or go to electionprotection2024.org. And, of course, Dennis, you are always welcome yourself. It's always great to have you on those calls. Okay. Join when I can. We thank you, Harvey Wasserman, for joining us again on Flash Points. Come back soon. I will. It's always an honor to be on your show, Dennis. Thank you so much. KBU Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBU in accordance with the requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is available on our website at kbu.fm. Due to the temporary closures of in-station activity at KBU, meetings will be conducted online via public video conferencing unless otherwise noted. A public link and phone number to attend the meetings are available on our website. The Program Advisory Committee meets on the second Tuesday of the month at 6 p.m. Please visit our website at kboo.fm to verify if a meeting is being held. KBOO Community Radio is hiring for a web and new media coordinator. Our web and new media coordinator is responsible for KBOO's website and social media accounts. Applicants should have experience administering a CMS such as Drupal and experience administering a MySQL database, including backups and queries. For a complete job description and instructions on how to apply, visit kboo.fm employment. Applications are due by November 17th. Kboo is an affirmative action and equal opportunity employer. Good day and welcome to the KBO Bike Show, broadcasting from Portland, Oregon on 90.7 FM and streaming live on KBO.FM. All our shows are archived at www.bikeshow.portlandtransport.com. Thanks to Chris Smith. Much appreciated, Chris. My name is Alon Rob. My co-host is Nedra Deadweiler, who will be back next month. Today's show focuses on cycling in Minnesota and on solo travel around the world. In the first half of the show, our guest will be Dorian Greeley, Executive Director of the Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota, a group doing essential work in the land of 10,000 lakes. In the second half of the show, we will speak with world-circling cyclist Sarah Pansoynak, who hails from Thailand and is visiting Portland. We're happy that you could join us today. KBU just had its membership drive. Thank you all for your support. If you are not a member yet, please consider becoming a member or donating what you can. There are also other ways to become involved, including hosting a show. Before we get to our guests, Dorian Greeley, Executive Director of the Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota, and Sarah Pon Soynak, globe-trotting cyclist originally from Thailand and a true world citizen, a few musical notes. 
no way out of here Said the joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessman, drink my wine Plowman, my is but a joke but you and I we have been through that and this is not our fate so let us not talk false now the hour is getting late Watchtower by Bob Dylan, performed by the wonderful musicians from all over the world of the Playing for Change project. Bob Dylan was chosen in honor of the state from which he hails, Minnesota, as our first guest today is Dorian Greeley, Executive Director of the Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota. Some might think that in Minnesota, a region of snow and fierce winds, cycling is a challenge or impossible during much of the year. And yet, since the earliest days of cycling, cities like Minneapolis and St. Paul have had vibrant cycling communities with small towns in the countryside, also sites of races, leisurely rides, and cycling to work. Dorian Greeley has worked with nonprofits for almost 40 years, of which many years were in the forefront of bicycle advocacy, education, and organizing. Good day, Dorian Greeley, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. 
Before we get to the good work that the Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota does, I would like to ask you what are some of your own early cycling memories? I still remember the little green bike that I got with 20-inch wheels uh, <laughs> when I was first learned to ride, may have even been 16-inch wheels, and it had hard plastic tires, which I skidded all the way down to the rim. Uh, so that's one of my earlier memories. Uh, when I came to college, I really at the University of Minnesota was when I really started using, uh, back then, a 10-speed a lot. And then I got a job with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources and started bike commuting and ended up bicycle commuting most days, 12 months of the year in Minnesota for about 30 years. And how did you get involved with cycling activism? It was really something that once I started riding to work, I thought we really needed to uh, uh, work to make it safer. And a group had started to work on issues around the University of Minnesota campus in Minneapolis. And I joined that group in the early 1980s and worked with them until worked with that that was called the Minnesota Coalition of Bicyclists and I worked with them until the 1990s and uh, then then the Minnesota Coalition of Bicyclists went uh, went dormant for about 10 years 2008 2009 when gasoline was four dollars a gallon bicycle industry was having worked very good year the Minnesota transportation bicycle advisory committee or at that time it was called the non-motorized transportation advisory committee hosted co-hosted a statewide bike summit with quality bicycle products which is the uh, huge one of the world's largest wholesalers of bicycle parts located in a first ring suburb in Minnesota called Bloomington and there were about a hundred people there and they had invited and flown in the executive director of then the organization was called the Alliance for Biking and Walking. And they held an advocacy track all day. And at the end of the day, the owner of Quality Bicycle Products announced that he'd really like to see Minnesota have a statewide organization statewide bicycle advocacy organization again and he pledged to play pay for the executive director for three years so that's what happened in in 2008 2009 and that was the beginning of the bicycle alliance of minnesota we simply uh got out the the uh articles of incorporation and and registration with the secretary of state changed the name and refiled the papers after about six months of a steering committee which had met on a pretty regular basis sometimes with almost 50 people in attendance so there was a lot of interest at that time and we started as the bicycle alliance of minnesota the first of the year in 2009 how would you describe the state of cycling in the state how is cycling viewed in more conservative areas of the state definitely emanates out in rings progressiveness from Minneapolis and St. Paul. Some of the suburbs are very, very bicycle friendly. The League of American Bicyclists has ranked 32 bike friendly communities in Minnesota and only seven of them are in the Minneapolis, St. Paul, seven county metropolitan area. When you travel to a community like Fergus Falls or Duluth, Fergus Falls is only 13,000 people but they made the League of American Bicyclists top 10 list for the most bicycle-friendly businesses in the country. So they see bicycling as a, val a valuable asset to the community, not an amenity, it's an asset that can help keep their community strong, not only public health-wise, but economic-wise, by making it a desirable place to live for young people, young family and a de desirable place to locate a business. So it's, it's become almost an essential. Minnesota has a very strong Safe Routes to School program. The Bicycle Alliance has uh, developed a curriculum in partnership with the healthcare provider, Blue Cross Blue Shield and the Department of Transportation. And we have trained over a thousand educators to implement that curriculum all in every corner of the state.
and they are reaching about 100,000 kids a year. So mm. I'm pretty excited about that. Mm-hmm. But there's a bicycle-friendly community in far northeast Minnesota along the Lake Superior shoreline named Grand Marais, uh, and there's a bicycle-friendly community in far southwest Minnesota, Jackson, almost to the only a stone's throw from Iowa and South Dakota. And both of them are are bike-friendly communities for the reason that I told you. Mm-hmm. It's part of their economic development strategy and public health strategy. And becoming more and more part of their environment and climate strategies too, statewide. Mm. Um, according to the group's mission statement, the organization, and I quote uh, from the website, envisions a Minnesota where every person everywhere can easily walk, bike, and roll as ways to move in daily life. Um, what are some of the challenges on the road to meeting this goal, and how close are you? What I'd love to say about small communities in Minnesota is that they are sort of inherently bike-friendly. They were developed with wide streets because of snow plowing and snow storage needs. Most have in the core city a network of sidewalks, and they haven't grown a lot, uh, so there is not a lot of the typical suburban development. You would not be surprised to see an elementary or you, you seeing an elementary school in greater Minnesota in a town of a couple thousand people with a hundred unlocked bicycles just laying in the front lawn uh, because they don't have bike parks uh, is not an uncommon thing. But it's a challenge as traffic has increased significantly and vehicle miles traveled, the roads are busier, uh, speeds are higher, especially during the pandemic. So safety is certainly a concern. Although Minnesota ranked pretty high on uh, uh, on on biking and walking safety, but it could always be better because somewhere in the neighborhood of there's somewhere in the neighborhood of ten bicyclists fatalities every year, and between forty and fifty pedestrian fatalities every year. And that ha- those happen all over the state, but the vast majority of them are in the urban core and on those high-speed suburban roads that are a, a challenge to get across or bicycle on. So we're working to uh, um, make those kind of changes. And a couple of years ago, the legislature actually authorized communities to lower the minimum statewide speed, urban speed limit from 30 miles an hour to 25. And Minneapolis and St. Paul have actually made residential streets 20 miles an hour. So I hope that will have an impact on biking and walking safety. And this year, the organization has come up with a five-year strategic plan. Um, What was the process of coming up with a plan and what are the goals? Well, we have a, we had a wonderful steering committee of Bicycle Alliance members and board members. And then we made an effort to reach out to community leaders statewide and have them fill out a survey. And we had more than 100 people fill out a survey uh, with lots of open-ended questions that we read uh, completely. And we ended up with four areas that are focus areas for the Bicycle Alliance, and those are community engagement, advocacy, organizational development, and education. So those are those are the focus areas, um, but I think there's some really exciting goals that are attached to each one of those focus areas, and I can share a couple of them. Um, we're really going to emphasize partnership as part of the community engagement strategy, and we want to make sure that we are reaching the non-traditional, um, you know, <laughs> as everybody said, we're trying to reach the people not in addition to the people who uh, wear Lycra jerseys and spandex uh, bike shorts. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's one of the partnerships we're looking to develop. The other is uh, 12 chapterizations. And those chapter organizations are basically a local committee of the Bicycle Alliance in Minnesota. Again, they range from Grand Marais, Minnesota, uh, to Fergus Falls, and and again, those are community activists that are our voice and eyes and ears at the local level. And in return, we serve as their voice at the Capitol and with the state agencies. So we want to continue to grow that kind of grassroots leadership uh, around the state. And 
We have a very strong partnership with the public health community in Minnesota. Minnesota, about 15 years ago, passed a program. The legislature passed a program called the Statewide Health Improvement Partnership. And that collects money from a health care tax of between 15 and $20 million a year. And they very smartly, the state agencies very smartly, allocated about 95% of that money to the local health department. So so we have advocates, and, and the mission of that health improvement partnership is to get people to quit smoking, eat right, and lead a more active life. So we have public health partners advocating for walking and biking all over the state of Minnesota. Again, advocacy goals are, are related to being effective advocate with the legislature, the governor's office, and the state agencies. But one of the most exciting ones I'm looking forward to working on is to organize a campaign to change the narrative around driving culture and encourage people to bike, walk, and take transit more and drive less. And we have those partnerships with the state, big state agencies like the Department of Transportation, the D Department of Health, and other nonprofits and foundations that I think are will be excited about uh, funding that campaign. So I dream of billboards that simply say, I can walk more and drive less. So hopefully that'll be the result of that goal of our strategic plan. Education program is pretty forward. I mentioned the elementary school safety curriculum. We'd like to expand that to middle school and high school. We had a, a proposal funded for an adult learn to ride program. So we're going to do an adult learn to ride program, hopefully reach a couple thousand people in Minneapolis and St. Paul and low income areas in the inner ring suburbs. And then the final organizational development focus area is simply to get, as I mentioned before, get more people involved geographically geographically and racially and get those get lots more people involved in advocating for safe biking and walking and of course we need to grow the organization and the supporters of the organization in order to implement the goals that i just talked to you about it's a it's a short plan um, but that was a big answer and one of the organization's initiatives is also a commitment to anti-racism and how do you see cycling and social justice connect? In Minnesota, we are finding that more and more people are dis discovering bicycling as a, as a as means of transportation. In Minnesota, we have a lot of new immigrants, in, not just in the big metropolitan area, but there are a lot of agricultural and forest industry um, plant in the regional centers uh, outside the Twin Cities metropolitan area. And there are a lot of immigrants in those communities. Some of them, their elementary schools have gone from no people of color 30 years ago to 50% people of color 30 years ago. And that is a real challenge for those communities and statewide policy. But our simple goal is to make it possible to have a family in that regional center. Uh, and needless to say, those industries are not high-paying businesses uh, or high-paying jobs in those businesses. So it, we want to just simply make it possible for a family to live in one car because most of those communities are no more than a couple miles across. So everything is bikeable and walkable places. In the Twin Cities metro area, it's much more of a challenge. But we see that getting kids involved at the elementary school level. Minneapolis has a program where nobody leaves first or second grade without knowing how to ride a bicycle unless they're physically disabled. And and then by fourth and fifth grade or first and second grade, they have bike walking safety. And by fourth and fifth grade, they've taken bicycle safety, which actually is riding around town. And that's for everyone. And the neat thing about it is the schools have bike fleets or the Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota has bike fleets that we will loan schools. So it, it, the kids are able to go through those programs even if they don't have a bicycle of their own. So I think it's becoming more and more important. We partner with a group called the Major Taylor Bicycle Club of Minnesota, which is one of the 
founders of the major Taylor clubs around the uh, country. And for those listeners who don't know, that's a African-American bicycle club. And Major Taylor was a world champion cyclist around the turn of the 20th century, 19th to 20th century. Um, but he was never crowned world champion because he was black. So the Major Taylor clubs are there to celebrate the and honor the legacy of Major Taylor. I'd like to ask you a little bit about your work lobbying lawmakers. It seems like the organization has been very active trying to pass some bills, uh, House File 32 and so forth. How would you describe the attitude of lawmakers in your state towards cycling? And how does one overcome the power of the fossil fuel industry? One of the things that we have been very successful with in a bipartisan has been Safe Routes. Minnesota has created their own Safe Routes, Safe Routes to School program, and Bike, Bike MN did that in partnership with a public health coalition called Minnesotans for Healthy Kids. So that is our, our foot in the door that we can use to lobby both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, because Minnesota is a challenge. We're the only divided legislature in the country. Most other states either have, or all, of, all the other states have, uh, all Democrat control or all Republican control. And we have a Republican-controlled Senate and a Democrat-controlled House. I am a registered lobbyist, and we employ a professional lobbying firm, other registered lobbyists, that help us communicate our message. But again, to be able to do it without that grassroots support from Greater Minnesota. And that is where the chapter and our members come in. We've been able to pass... Safe routes to school funding, as I said, and about four years ago, they created a state-level active transportation program because the federal transportation alternatives program wasn't able to fund more than a quarter of the request. So they created a state-level active transportation program, and they actually funded it this year for the first time with some of the federal money that helped Minnesota go from a budget deficit to a budget surplus. So we are working with that active transportation program. And I think one of the neat things that the Department of Transportation that administers it is going to prioritize planning because it's not restricted to just building infrastructure. So hopefully we'll get more community plans, more local leaders, more advocates engaged in supporting the need to do not just building infrastructure, but doing education, for kids and adults, events to encourage bicycling, including Bike Walk to School Day, and doing those plans and engaging all the community by looking at these programs through an equity lens. So my my lobbying work, uh, probably safe to say that I have a, an open door to all the Democrats' office and the governor's office in Minnesota. He's also a Democrat and a cycle, but kind of hit and miss with the uh, Republicans. There's some very conservative Republicans that don't like the message, uh, my message about biking and walking, but there are middle-of-the-road Republicans that have been authors of the Safe Crowds for School funding. In your years as an activist, what are some of the surprising things you learned, and how do you keep staying motivated? I stay motivated um, partially because I have uh, my wife and I have two children, one's 22, one's 25, and we raised them to be activists. And I think it was a good model uh, to encourage them to engage as adults in things that they care about, whether it's climate change and the environment. My son is a conductor for Amtrak, and he's uh, hoping to help save the world in favor of passenger rail. So that's how I stay motivated. Some of the things that have surprised me along the way is, as I mentioned before, how warm a reception I often get at the local level. The mayors, I worked with the Minnesotans for Healthy Kids to create something, an organization called the Minnesota Mayoral Active Transportation Caucus. It's a very loosely knit organization that the, the, the mayor that joins it really only has to say biking and walking needs to be part of transportation funding. It's not just part of recreation funding. 
and that biking and walking is important in every community in Minnesota, not just in the urban core. So those are the two core messages. And we have more than 50 mayors that have signed up. So that's always been a pleasant surprise to me is how much the local leaders. And we have some very, very passionate legislators. And as you know, we have some very high profile members of Congress and members of the United States Senate. Ilhan Omar, very excited about bicycling. And Senator Klobuchar, who ran for president, and Senator Smith are both bicycling advocates. Senator Klobuchar's dad ran, uh, organized a, a bicycle ride that had hundreds of people traveling community to community uh, for 30 years, uh, a week-long bike ride for 30 years. And Senator Smith's husband rides a bike. So, so I, those are those are very good allies. And as you may know, um, former Congressman and the late Congressman Jim Oberstar from Northeast Minnesota was the author of the changes that created the Transportation Alternatives Program at the federal level. That's uh, it, it's exciting to part of Minnesota, and it's always a fun surprise to find somebody new. One of our congressmen, staff people, uh, told me at the National Bike Summit earlier this year, of course, via Zoom, that Congressman Phillips would like to start filling the shoes of, of Jim Oberstar. Hmm. So I'm looking forward to working with uh, other members of our congressional delegation to get them part of the Vision Zero Act hmm. and the Bicycle Commuter Act and get them to sign on to all those bills. I'd like to ask you maybe to describe that daily commute of yours, the round trip daily commute of 25 to 30 miles. Well, I had the good fortune of having someone to ride with um, for most of that time. Although occasionally my wife would join me and she said, you guys don't talk very much, so you must be thinking. So I agree, it is a, it's a quiet time and a time to meditate. For the first 10 years, I commuted on the city streets from Minneapolis to downtown St. Paul. That was in, in the 1980s and 1990s. We had to make our own homemade light sets and battery packs uh, to power uh, hour-long ride in the depths of winter in the dark but in 1990 they had uh, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources had purchased a railroad grade 10 years before that but in 1990 or the early 90s they actually finally developed that railroad grade which went from downtown St. Paul pretty much straight to the northeast and I asked my wife if, if she would be interested in looking for a house. That was a long trail corridor, and we decided and found a wonderful spot that's about 11 or 12 miles from downtown Paul. That's only about a mile trail. And the wonderful thing about it is it's all winter long. Uh, so some of those very cold and dark mornings in January, there wasn't weren't many people out there, but there were the cottontail rabbits and the great horned owls that were eating them or the foxes that were eating them. And I'd occasionally even see some deer that would use that corridor to get all the way into uh, St. Paul. I couldn't think of, uh, uh, there's been a study uh, by Cambridge University uh, that was uh, found that long distance cyclists, some of them in their 80s, have immune systems of 20 year olds. And I can't think of a better year to have the immune system of a 20 year old when you're in your <laughs> mid 60s than this past 18 months. We have been speaking with Dorian Greeley, Executive Director of the Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota, who has been at the forefront of bicycle activism for over four decades. Thank you so much, Dorian, for your time and good work. And we wish you and the organization many more years of cycling and activism. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a beautiful day here, so I'm going to go for a bike ride. We have been speaking with Dorian Greeley, Executive Director of the Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota. Thank you, Dorian, and your group for a fantastic job. You're listening to the KBO Bike Show, broadcasting from Portland, Oregon, on 90.7 FM and streaming live on kbo.fm. All our shows are archived at www.bikeshow.portlandtransport.com.
That was Lao Fin played on a three-string zitar. The music, classical Thai music, was selected by our next guest, Sirapon Soinak of Thailand. Sirapon, which means crown, got her first bike at age 47 and three years later took off to cycle around the world. For the past 12 years, she hasn't stopped cycling. Good day and welcome to the show. Good day to you, Alon. Thank you. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background. Um, my name is Sarah Soinak. I'm from Thailand, um, a city called Surin from the northeast of Bangkok, closer to Cambodia border. And um, there I born and raised and educated. Were you a cyclist in your childhood or your youth? No, not at all. I uh, grew up, I never owned a bike. My first bike I owned when I was uh, 47 years old, I, my theme of cycling, I call it never too old to have a happy childhood. And how did you become a world traveler? What promoted you to hop on a bicycle and start riding? I was born curious, I suppose, and then curiosity never left me. So every time I have a moment, always thinking of what other people's lives in the world is like compared to mine. So yeah, it's been with me for a long time and uh, throughout my growing up. So this is where it all started. And you started riding in 2009. And was there any particular event that preceded it? Or you just got up one morning and said, it's time to ride around the world? I, the children are out of school and uh, I find myself have more time. So I thought, mm, my curiosity is still with me. So I found a group of people through Adventure Cycling, actually, because I was member to the organization then adventure cycling and uh, I just read through it and there's uh, one group looking for um, team members to ride across America, America on Trans Trans America route from Virginia to Astoria, Oregon. So I wrote to them and that I would like to join with no experience. I don't know how to shift the gear, but with the first bike I owned, that's when I uh, start to uh, embark on my journey from. 
adventure cycling uh, Trans America route, I really get hit hard by the bug of travel by bicycle. So then I uh, go on cycling along the Pacific coast from Washington all the way to uh, San Diego, cross over to Tijuana, and then all the way to Baja Peninsula in La Paz. And then did also a little bit Mexico from Guadalajara over to Veracruz and then to Cancun. And after I did America for a little bit, I also did in America um, uh, Mississippi uh, River Trail from Minnesota to New Orleans. And after that, I decided to venture out more back home to Thailand, cycling in Thailand a little bit. It's difficult because we don't have such a, a beautiful road of cycling. So I went out to a uh, England. I start England a little bit from London to Wales, and then I start cross the channel over to uh, Holland, Belgium, Germany, and then up north to Denmark. Then I get hooked from there, and then on and on, and from north to south, from Italy, France, um, all the way south to um, to the heel of uh, Italy. And also, I decided to, a couple of years ago, did the island hopping, which is I wanted to do for a long time. So I cycling from Hamburg to Livorno, Italy, and jump on the ferry to Corsica. There, I cycling for one week, and then jump over to Sardinia, and there I cycling for one week, and then jump over to Sicily, <laughs> and there for one week. And I thought, hmm, the other island is Malta. And I always curious about Malta. And I said, now or never. So I went to Malta for one week and it just from there, going and going and love it. And have you been to Australia and New Zealand? I have been to Australia from uh, uh, in Melbourne and cycling along the Golden Miles a little bit around the area and uh, but never been to New Zealand. Yes, mm. two years ago uh, planned for New Zealand and pandemic hit. Mm. So that is the end of it. How is the pandemic changed cycling? Uh, during pandemic, we have to adjust a lot like the rest of the world. And for me as a cyclist, I have to really read a lot of what destination like, what the rules, regulation. You can ride along the bicycle route and then you get to the town, you check again for what the policy is and where, what kind of a, a, a with a red zone, which is they close the place, you cannot go anymore. And so, but it's just keep going and adjusting. Yeah, adjusting is what it is in, with the pandemic. Describe to us some of the people you've met, some of uh, the joys involved with cycling. Yes, people that I met along the way is so beautiful. It's just for me, the affirmation of human goodness. And um, yeah, it keep me going that kind people. Sometimes miracles are just good people with kind hearts. And this is the affirmation of human goodness that just keep me going. And also, you know, you share a lot of perspective, worldview, and, um, and we together find a solution. And I think the people that I met is a lot of like-minded people and want very much to be part of the solution. And when you ride into a place where maybe not many cyclists, especially cyclists from other countries, arrive, uh, what kind of reception do you get? Yes, this is uh, in particular, uh, I cycling in Turkey because this is pretty much a Muslim country. And I'm really pleasantly surprised. And uh, I cycling and in the morning I would stop and make coffee and I will meet the shepherd who heard the chips. And I would say hello, that I learn a few words in each country as I go and offer some coffee. And they would sit and we don't speak the language, but sit and have coffee, just look around and know that we just there in the world to just, you know, for a purpose. And uh, the reception was quite very nice uh, along the road. Even people would ask you to stop, have some tea or lunch, or even the people who in the morning, for example, this is along the Turk in Turkey, and uh, a husband and wife stop and stop the car and offer me some bread and some vegetable because they just uh, come from the from come from the market 
So the reception's quite nice. They really care. You know, they want to, you to know that you come in this my country. The hospitality is nice. You are welcome. And this is really nice. Have you had any negative experiences? Um, are there any special challenges in being a single woman traveling on a bike in maybe some more conservative areas? Yes, I don't personally not not I haven't encountered with the negative of a lot of people like in Mexico. They would stop me and said, "You are doing okay." They they seem to respect you, you know, and this is, uh, it's really give me a lot of confidence that these people are, know that I'm there to visit and to share the culture and they see that. I think they feel it also. So this is nice, not, not negative that I encounter at all so far. And when you travel, what does your bicycle look like? What do you take with you? Do you travel very light or do you like to travel with a whole house behind you in a trailer? My friend tell me, you know, I have the kitchen sink also <laughs> because of the comfort. Yes, I have everything that uh, I need to uh, to to be comfort. Food, uh, clothing, that not much, but all essentials. Uh, food I have, so um, tent, so I can stop anytime and cook anytime. And also, if I see some local, I can also share with what I have. Have there been times where it got too difficult, maybe too hot, too cold, or were you sick? Were there any times that you said, what am I doing here? This is crazy. Yes, this is very nice because when I encounter something, I the word of my grandmother told me, which has stuck with me all this time along my journey, is that she said, remember, the difference between an ordeal and adventure is your attitude, she said. So every time I encounter, I can ride bicycle three days and rain day and night for three days straight, pitch the tent in the rain, pack the tent up in the rain. But yet when I look around, there's beauty. The, the, the perspective of life, I understand more of the beauty of the truth and the environment that I never, I see it as adventure. And because I look around and said, you know, it could be worse, but yet everything I have on my bike. You know, I have everything to make me comfort. Mm -hmm. And I can go on or I can stop. So this is very, very nice to know that attitude is everything. Mm -hmm. And you've had some encounters with people like Mother Teresa. How was that experience? What was she like? Yes, Mother Teresa, she's, she's small and short. I met her when I uh, read about the article about her about her work in Calcutta when I was first year in college. Uh, I came to uh, America for college. So on the way home, the first summer, I went back home and decided to stop in Calcutta and volunteer at her place. And there is a culture shock. I didn't know what the culture shock mean because I thought only American come to Thailand and have culture shock <laughs> because we are poor people. But then I'm from Thailand to, to India, to Calcutta. It just desperation that I never feel before or never seen. You know, I'm from a small village. I thought, yeah, nothing worse than that. But there, it's really a put my life in perspective that you go and make a difference with what you have and where, whatever you can, however you can. And during your cycling, you also raise funds for different organizations, UNICEF. How, how is that and how can our listeners help? When I bicycle touring, I figured I ride anyway. So I have done a few organiza charity organizations. One in California called them and asked them to set up the um, website for charity and send the website to me so I can put it on my blog. When people who follow me, they can go in and donate and the money goes straight to them. And another one uh, for children with cancer and the same procedure, they set up the charity and then they send the website to me and uh, with my name on it. And then my friend who follow me, they would send money straight to them. I don't do it anymore now because uh, I bicycle touring and I just go for just for pleasure and uh, just meet new people. But if any other organization uh, want me to ride for them, just contact with me because I ride anyway. 
So if they, my follower can give some money to them, that's all model for me. I'll be happy to do that. While cycling, have you ever fallen from the bike? Did you ever stumble over rough conditions? Yes, um, this time of year, especially wet and windy and uh, leaves falling. And but I never fall. I fell, but I caught myself. So, but there is uh, one big incident with bike. I go downhills and my bicycle brake didn't work so I just hit the car that is parked there so I was land on my head my helmet broke my head was okay but I busted my lips my upper lips and knocked out two teeth and uh, so end up in the hospital and, and where was this so it up this is in Mount Tabor <laughs> <laughs> so of all oh, the places yeah. in the world it, you get yes, injured in Portland right, Oregon right, right. <laughs> the universe yeah. has a sense of humor sometimes exactly so you know I mean I'm just still happy that I, I feel pain because I thought when I don't feel pain that would be not good so I'm still keep going yeah I'm interested uh, a little bit more about your background you said you grew up in Thailand in a small village what was life like in that village when you were a child and with your family? Yes, uh, life in the village growing up was nice because mom and dad uh, both teachers, but at the end mom just stay home and take care of us. Um, dad teacher in that village and we a little, you know, dad teacher is a, a government job, so we have some privilege of a little bit more than my friends in the village as farmers but we growing up really positive mom and dad have show us what it is like you know if you go to school get educated and then you there's the farmers the work in the land so we have choices so it's quite positive for me i'm curious about your attitude because you're very from the little i know of you you're a very positive person you you don't give up so easily, and yet you've had, I know, some hardships in your life uh, that might have made other people bitter or cynical. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit. You mentioned your grandma, but I'm still curious about this attitude of yours, this positive yes. way of being in this world. Yes, thank you. Yes, um, I think hardship is what keep me focused, is that, you know, if you fall down, you don't get up, then you get nowhere. So yeah, grandma really uh, have influence in my life. She doesn't have a lot. When I go to visit her in the weekend, she would take me to the forest, gather some woods and make fire for cooking and this and that. But um, no, I growing up, my when I was six years old, I fell from the trees in coma for over 12 months. And when I come out of it at the end of uh, the coma, I have surgery and uh, blood cloth and all those things. And uh, they cut my nerve of my eyes, my eyes, uh, the eyesight nerve, and then my hearing. And now, uh, since then, I grew up with only one eye and one ear. Uh, I can hear and see. So this is keep me focused. Yes, pun intended. <laughs> Just focus <laughs> on what they told me. Uh, yeah, you have one eye, but you always see beautiful things. And that's what I, mm. I, I, every time I look at things, it, it just keep me going to see beauty because at behind of of all hardship is what make I am strong today. So I focus my energy on what I can do for my life and also to make a difference on others around me, environment, people, and myself. And let go of something that I cannot control and just simple as that. And the bicycle seems like a great vehicle for reinforcing that that attitude and meeting wonderful people. You also belong to the Warm Shower Organization. Can you yes. tell our listeners a little bit about that? How does yes. that work? Yes, I uh, yeah, on bicycle I'm so free. I don't I'm very free when I'm on my bicycle. And organization Warm Showers and it's organization for bicycle touring community and it's worldwide. So this is really share like-minded people and also it's reciprocal hospitality. So even I travel alone on bicycle, I feel that I have family at the end of the road, the end of the day mm -hmm. that I request and stay with. 
and it's quite nice, reciprocal uh, hospitality and uh, like-minded people. Check it out. And one, has to, <laughs> and one has to be a cyclist to yes, join. Yeah, yes, that's required yes, that you required, arrive yeah. with a bicycle. Indeed, it's yes. not enough that you rode a bicycle 20 years right, ago. Right, right. Just come mm. by bicycle and they like-minded people. It's amazing. Just like family. You go, you mm. feel welcome and yes. And you sometimes also camp out? Uh, yes, and... I do while camping, uh, which is very nice. You know, you get close to nature and also you clean up a little bit that where you go and um, it's beautiful to get back to basic mm -hmm. with nature yes is there any country that you find to be a excellent for cycling and what, what are some of the best places to cycle yes in europe in particular i enjoyed uh, cycling a lot denmark uh, germany although germany i must make it clear that a bicycle uh, while camping is forbidden, but <laughs> it's possible. So people are very nice. So Belgium, Holland, but I like uh, Denmark a lot. Yes, because Holland is beautiful, very nice, but I think because sometimes cyclists are obnoxious also because they, they go so fast and they, they, they feel like everybody watch out for them. But no, it, it just it happens everywhere, you know, sometimes even uh, if you wandered out of the bicycle path a little bit, the mot the motorist would be hung you out because I said, look, I'm 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 just tourist here, but just you know, forgive a little bit. But yeah, no, I I enjoy Europe a lot. They have a, a designated bicycle route, so that's what I enjoy the most. And in the U.S., what places, what cities are good places to cycle, and how would you rate Portland? Portland now uh, a lot much much better. Much, much better now. I cycling and it's really nice in North Portland, for example. I have cycling there last week and bicycle route for, for us, it's just amazing. I'm just smile. <laughs> Viva Portland, yes. <laughs> Keep up a good work. And what is next for you? Where are you heading from Portland and what other continents are there for you to cycle? I hope... Um, will do more south of Europe uh, so and then maybe I like return to uh, when pandemic is better return to Mexico doing mm. Baja Peninsula again and also I want to go to New Zealand where mm -hmm. we wanted to go I want with my friend want to go two years ago pandemic come and it put the stop to that so hopefully be able to go to New Zealand and a little bit more of Thailand maybe mm. but Mex. Uh, Singapore is where I want to go next because mm -hmm. I have research and all the bike routes go around and I think I can do it with warm showers local they can you know we can do it together so that would be nice something to look forward mm -hmm. to and the Middle East is also an area which uh, has seen great progress with cycling in the last few years is not Holland or yeah. Denmark but um, there's there are more lanes in the Middle East uh, and more cyclists more women cyclists more men cyclists more children I would love to I Lebanon been always I don't know since college mm -hmm. or even high school I wanted to go and uh, Iran before uh, when it was Persia I was just wanted to go so bad. Even now, turn to Iran instead of Persia. I still wanted to try it because maybe some sort of uh, a mission. I don't know to talk to people and and I've been invited by some women's group. They said, "You come. We ride bicycle together." In Iran. In Iran, uh -huh. yes. So, I'm. I still. I know a couple um, Iranian ladies in Hamburg area. So I like to go and meet up with them and see what possible. But with pandemic, we have mm -hmm. to, you know, read the policy and what the, each country rules mm. are. So we'll see. And do you sometimes cycle with other people, or you mostly do you meet people who say, "I'd like to join you for a few miles"? Yes, mostly I tour alone. Some people wanted to a uh, different country uh, in Germany. Mostly my warm showers. When they have time, they said, "Where are you? Let's." I want to tour together. So. That's I will time and come to uh, to tour with them, but normally I did it alone. What do you think about when you cycle? On my bicycle is when I'm at the most peace and the reflection of truth, beauty, and just reflection of the world view of of things around me, 
and very peaceful. That's when my meditation start is when I'm on my bike because it's so peaceful and your mind so free and nothing but blessings and uh, contentment and gratitude for everything, yes. Blessing, contentment, and gratitude. This is a wonderful place to end. We've been talking with a world traveler, Serapan Soinak from Thailand originally, who's been cycling around the world. And I'm happy to say that I've been blessed by her presence. She has been staying with us here and sharing her stories and her life and her very positive attitude. So all the best to you on your cycles and be safe. Thank you very much, Alon. Hopefully we'll get together somewhere, Thailand or Europe. Hopefully we'll cycle together. I'm looking forward to it. That was Sirapon Soinak, a world-circling cyclist for the past 12 years and an optimistic and resilient spirit. Thank you, Sirapon, for being on the show. You've been listening to the KBO Bug Show, broadcasting from Portland, Oregon, on 90.7 FM and streaming live on kbo.fm. The show is archived on www.bikeshow.portlandtransport.com. My name is Alon Rapp, and I would like to thank our guests, Dorian Greeley and Serapan Soinak. Also, thank you, Chris Smith, Nedra Deadweiler, and to you who have joined us today. Safe journeys. This is KBOO Portland, listener-powered, non-corporate community radio. Bienvenidos a un breve informativo en su estación comunitaria KBOO 90.7 FM. Hoy miércoles 3 de noviembre.